Well, greetings. Welcome to The Dividing Line. It, um, it was the coldest this morning it has been since like in early April or something, maybe March here in uh, Phoenix. So it's great. We're, uh, we here in the land of the Valley of the Sun uh, enjoy once it starts to cool off just for a little while. It's uh, it's it's exciting time of the year, and you start playing Christmas music and all sorts of stuff like that, just because you know it's just not going to last long. So you might as well. Got a lot to get to today. Um, hadn't actually talked to Rich about this. Um, I'm thinking we might still be able to get a program in around regular time on Thursday. Um, on my way out to ReformCon, and then we're going to do one on Friday as well. And so, um. We might be able to sneak a couple more in uh, this week, and um, so we. But we will be at ReformCon on Friday at one uh, thirty, I believe, our time. So that would be four thirty Eastern Daylight Time. Because I'm not sure when you all play with your clocks, but I think it's first weekend in November, if I recall correctly. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's Arizona time is pretty much all all it does count. Uh, but yeah. Obviously, that program will be somewhat distracted with guests and stuff like that. At least I hope so. Uh, I'd like to uh, try to grab Joe Boot minimally uh, and uh, force him to uh, to uh, come on the program with us. Um, but uh, yeah, so it'll be a busy, very busy weekend uh, for me. And uh, uh, moving pretty, I think October is going to, uh, not November. I mean, I think November is going to fly back really, fly past really fast. And I think this year is just going to we're going to blink, and it's going to be 2023. Uh, obviously, praying about what's coming up on the 8th of November with midterm elections in the United States truly has uh, global ramifications, honestly, as to how fast the rush toward um, Global, tyrannical, technological tyranny uh, can take place. There are so many things that are being pushed on us. The new prime minister in the United Kingdom, um, deep connections, the World Economic Forum, a big promoter of digital currency. You need to understand digital currency is the end of your freedom. It's the end of your freedom. It is absolutely necessary for the social credit system. And... If you haven't, if you if you are not absolutely terrorized by what you see going on in China with the enslavement, absolute enslavement of those people, it, it's just astonishing to me. But then again, I, I watch the people who are right now, for example, protesting Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh is uh, is doing a good thing in pointing people to the insanity, the evil, the moral and ethical depravity of transgenderism. He's pointing people to the um, fundamental foundational issues. I don't think that Matt has, unfortunately, and no one in that, almost no one in that group, um, Daily Wire group has the necessary, appropriate worldview answers 
for how to deal with these things. It's simple common grace and common sense that mutilating the bodies of teenagers is idiotic, stupid, foolish, evil, depraved, everything you can, every word you can come up with. Um, but the answer as to why the connection to the culture of death, the connection between that and drag queen story hour, the purposeful, um, you know, an article came out, I haven't read all of it, but an article came out yesterday or the day before from Christopher Rufo tying together what we've been saying for all, from the beginning, um, that this is, this is all an aspect of the culture of death. It is all meant to damage children, to denormalize the created order. Um, it is, it's the manifestation of the culture of death. And so there's, there's only one solution to it. And Republicans don't have that answer. There's nothing about being a Republican that actually answers the cultural and worldview issues that we're, that we're facing here. And so, uh, we're seeing a, you know, what's coming up on, on the 8th. I've said for a number of months now that what kind of projects I will be focused upon will, will have to be determined by what takes place uh, on November 8th. Um, do, I have, uh, do, I, do I have deep concerns as to whether there will be uh, further election tampering? I do. Um, it is clear evidence that the United States is a divided nation. Both sides don't trust the other as far as I can throw them. The reality, of course, is the left has no moral foundation upon which to trust them in the first place. They've already demonstrated. And, and anybody who, again, was either awake back in the 60s and 70s, or has read about what took place back in the 60s and 70s, um, knows what was going on behind the, the Iron Curtain, and knows that they would have elections. Nobody believed that they were relevant, because they weren't. Um, but election tampering, claiming the other side's doing it's it's, it's the same old playbook uh, that has been used over and over and over again. Um, but we both, both sides uh, just accuse the other. Uh, of this, and that's not good for the United States of America in any way, shape, or form. But there are things going on. Um, the revelation two weeks ago of a research facility in Boston manipulating the coronavirus and attaching the current Omicron spike protein to the original Wuhan producing a variant that killed 80% of the lab, lab rats that were infected with it. Um, more studies coming out saying, man, this, this thing looks completely genetically manipulated. It's engineered because it was, um, uh, and an article I just saw, uh, was it this morning or last evening? Last evening, 
uh, out of Korea, 22-year-old man, died within five days of his second vax of myocarditis. And they're going into the heart and they're, they're showing the impact of this stuff. And, you know, there have been undertakers of people like that saying for years, we've never seen anything like this. But you have to, you know, follow the money. Just, it would seem that most Christians would understand this. Uh, a love of money. The, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Is the best way to translate that. And when you when you consider the massive wealth transfer that has taken place over the past few years, the infusion of money into the pharmaceutical companies, Pfizer, Moderna, they own the souls of so many of the politicians in the West. And you look at the organizations that are supposed to be the watchdogs over these people. And you look at the boards, and then you look at the people, the CDC, FDA, and it's like a revolving door. They're just all in bed with each other. They go from Moderna to serving the board and go back to Pfizer and then go... It, it, it is the most incestuous, corrupt, hundreds of billions of dollars worth of corruption. Uh, no one with a brain in their head should ever trust what these people have to say ever again. It's just so obvious. It's incredible. So you look at, you look at something like that and they are creating these super viruses and you just go, why, why are they doing this? What is the end game here? And then just right now, I, I, within the last hour, Biden, they drugged him up again. And I'm, I'm absolutely serious about it. I'm sorry, people, you're just so disrespectful. No, when you listen to this man speaking, he is plainly senile. He is, he is, he is so far, I said he was non-compass mentis before the election. He is so far beyond that now that it's astonishing. And, you know, he was just telling someone, uh, oh, that transgender guy. Oh. The very fact that someone like that transgender guy was invited to the White House just tells you just how utterly corrupt and meaningless this regime is. But even then, uh, Biden's talking about how uh, they got their bill through with only two votes to spare to do the uh, school uh, loan forgiveness stuff. That was an executive order. <laughs> it wasn't an act of Congress. There wasn't any vote. The man is not connected to reality. He has no idea what day of the week it is. He doesn't, he doesn't remember what he said yesterday. He's been on vacation 42% of the time that he's been president. And I'm going to tell you what that is. The drugs they're using to make him functional have to be washed out of the system once in a while. And that's why he's only around 60% of the time. And even then, there's only so much you can do. There's only so much you can do. Um, there are some positive. There's one positive thing today, the New York Supreme Court. And what's happening up in Alberta. The premier in Alberta. Sorry. 
If you want your jobs back, you can have them. New York Supreme Court just said, you fired anybody because of their VAC status, they get back pay and get to, they get their jobs back. Would love to see that happen for the Navy SEALs and everybody in the armed forces. And they could sure use those people back right now because they can't get anybody else to join up. But that's probably not going to happen because weakness is what they want. Our enemies are in charge. This regime is controlled by foreign powers. I, I believe that firmly. Why else would they be doing it? No one can be this incompetent. <laughs> that's a, the only choices are these are the most incompetent morons that have ever served in the United States government, or they're doing this on purpose. And once you put the, once you put the, the most amazing uh, arch villain <laughs> ever designed, Klaus Schwab, he even dresses the part for crying out loud. You you throw him in there, uh, and there's no question about what's going on. You see the Macron in France, and now the new guy in in the UK, and all the people we got over here. Um, and it's just like you you have to be blind, deaf, and dumb not to see what's what's going on. So it's you know it's nice every once in a while to see a brief glimmer of justice. Um, but, uh, unless it, you know, expands out to some meaningful level, it's not going to get us anywhere. A couple weeks ago, I didn't talk about it. I mentioned it, uh, briefly, but a couple weeks ago, a representative by the name of Guzman, who's not even, she was, she was born, I think in Peru. Um, but she's in the legislative branch in the state of Virginia. This is old story, but I didn't get a chance to talk about it. These radicals will introduce these bills where she introduced the bill to criminalize non support of a minor who decides they're transgender. Now transgenderism right now would Transgenderism never existed prior to YouTube. Okay, there was a small amount of what clinicians call gender dysphoria um, in the past, but the the current pandemic of sexual perversity is produced by TikTok and YouTube um, and Instagram and all this stuff. It's, it's, it's not real. It's, it's, if you want to make sure that your kids don't experience this, don't get them a cell phone. Have them read real books. Uh, homeschool. Um, I had a blast um, last week, I think. Uh, I got a chance to pick up my grandkids from homeschool co-op. Co-op? <laughs> Co-op. Um, and it was really cool because, you know, almost everybody there was from Apologia. So, hey, Pastor White, hey, Pastor White, you know, all the kids, hey, Dr. White, you know. And um, it was great to see them all playing together and doing all sorts of neat, fun stuff. Um, and then get to take my kids out to uh, lunch with me at uh, Cafe Rio. I love Cafe Rio. Uh, Cafe Rio is great. Um, 
I'll probably now be ban- banned from Cafe Real for having said that. But uh, I love uh, I love a uh, chicken quesadilla from Cafe Rio. That's, that's that's great stuff. But anyways, just seeing how the kids interact with one another and that you know, if you want to protect your kids, that's what you're going to need to do because the culture of death wants to destroy them. And this Guzman in Virginia introduces this bill. Now it's not going to pass. But that's how the left does everything. Every wild-eyed, nutty, crazy, insane, morally depraved law that we're now dealing with was initially introduced and defeated. It's a matter of, we're going to throw it out there, and people are going to go, nope, 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 nope. But now it's been out there once. And you throw it out again. You, th- you just keep doing it as many times as you need to do until you numb people to it, and then you can get it passed. But this was literally a woman born outside the United States promoting the idea in the state of Virginia of criminalizing, on the felony criminalizing parents who would not support a transgender child. That is, would not go along with the insanity of I mean, Daddy, I've decided I'm a boy. Okay. When you have adults doing this, when you watch, uh, there was a video, um, again, Matt Walsh is doing his thing quite appropriately on the insanity of the transgender movement. And of course, you watch the, you watch the people gathering hours before They're supposed to do anything. Trying to shut everything down. Breaking laws. And you watch these people and you realize you've seen this someplace before. You've seen it. You you saw it in the Hitler Youth. You see it in the young people in communist countries. We saw it depicted on stone glyphs In Mesoamerica, it's a cult. It's a religion. It's all these people have. You see these people just screaming their lungs out. There is not a rational, logical thought to be found in the entire crowd of them. The, The average age, mental age, emotional age of these individuals is about four. It truly is. They are, they are permanent children. They're not adults. They cannot think rationally. They cannot think logically. They are absolutely owned and run by their emotions. It's all they've got. You've got to pity them. It's all they've got. How empty to live your life screaming in support of mutilating girls' bodies and boys' bodies? This is, this is the greatest good you have in your life? Can you imagine how empty that is? There's only one solution. You and I both know what it is. You and I both know what it is. Which leads me to... Um, comment on a subject that you probably have noticed I haven't talked about. 
which is a little surprising. Um, but how long ago was it that we first heard? I, I would say, at least on the popular level, it hasn't been a year before I first heard the phrase Christian nationalism. Um, you know, it, it's like when white supremacy started coming up and you're like, I thought that was about people in white robes in the South, uh, you know, 50 years ago. And now it's, you know, if you, uh, if you remain married to your wife and raise your children, that's a sign of white supremacy. Everything is white supremacy. And, um, now we have Christian nationalism and people are, they're, they're glomming onto it. And you've got a book just came out. Um, case for Christian nationalism. No, I've not read it. I haven't seen it. Nobody sent me one. Um, but then I saw last week, the video of a prayer of Awaken America something. I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure what it is, but it includes the general Flynn guy. Um, and somebody else, I'm not real big. And I'm not big in the politics stuff. Anyway, Someone gave an opening prayer at this political rally. And it was all for Trump. And it was praying that Trump wouldn't be surrounded by rhinos. And he'd be given the wisdom to pick the right people to save America. It it was really troubling. It, It was... So obviously, religion in the service of a particular political perspective that doesn't give a lot of evidence of being thought through and well-grounded, shall we say. And I, I looked at something like that, and I couldn't help but thinking, look, everybody's talking about Christian nationalism now. What's the only, as far as I can see, what's the only acceptable understanding of that phrase? Well, blessed is a nation whose God is Yahweh, right? It is a blessing for a nation to have Yahweh as its God, which means every nation has a God. That runs directly against the secular understanding, but it's a true statement. Secularism becomes the God. The state becomes the God of a secular people. Everybody worships. You can't avoid having ultimate commitments. You may, and, and the less you're aware of those presuppositional ultimate commitments, the more you're controlled by them, obviously. And so all those secular people dancing around 
outside a Matt Walsh event screaming and banging drums and and screaming about trans rights or human rights and all the rest of this kind of stuff, which is a meaningless statement. Uh, that is a expression of religion. It's religious worship. It's religious fervor that we're dealing with here. It's just an irrational uh, religious fervor, but it's it's still there. So when you when you talk about Christian nationalism, if all we're saying is every nation will have a God and the only God that exists is Yahweh and hence the only Lord that will bring blessings upon a nation is the enthroned Lord in heaven, the risen Savior to whom all authority has been given in heaven and earth, well, okay, obviously that's what you want. But the only way to have that function is if God in his mercy and grace works in such a fashion as to convert a majority of the people in a nation. And as I look around, I see very little evidence that the majority of the people of this nation have actually been converted. And the only way to start talking about the formulation of law in a nation, in a, in a way that makes Christian nationalism meaningful, is if you have a Christian nation. Not simple principles being enforced upon people who remain rebels and haters of God's law. And so there are certain things that have to happen first. And so on one side, there's the, you can't argue. You, you are to disciple the nations. You are to proclaim the Lordship of Christ. You are to say to any nation, if you want God's blessing, here is the path to God's blessing. You do what is pleasing to him. And how do we know what's pleasing to him? Well, he's revealed it. We have something called the Ten Commandments. We have something, uh, you know, the, the law that represents God's holiness. The law teaches us that we are to be concerned about the lives of others around us. There are principles, general equity that is found in the law of God. And we have been given the, the power to live out those commands of holiness only in and through the Spirit of God, which is ours by faith in Jesus Christ. Repentance of sin, turning to Christ as Lord, bowing the knee. It's called salvation. And so we can, we can say these things to the world, we can offer these things to the world, but it's not until the Spirit of God uh, works in such a fashion as to bring about a, ma a majority of, of people that we can start talking about Christian nationalism in any way. I've been told, again, I, I'm not sure. Um, I've been told um, <laughs> I should have, I should have looked at this. Um, 
you're right, Chris. Um, we should allow President Biden to have as much ice cream as he wants. It's it's, it's the only it's the only kind thing to do. Love you, Chris. <laughs> you and I are the weirdest pair on the. Well, you throw Jason in, we're a weird trio. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yes. He, uh, Joe Biden can have all my ice cream. All right. Cause I'm not big. No, he can't have yours. Okay. Rich says he can't have his, but he can have mine. Cause I'm, I'm just not a big ice cream person. I'm just, I don't know why. I, I sometimes wonder if it's because after church, when I was a kid, my dad would take us to Dairy Queen. Was it Dairy Queen or was it another one? Yeah. No, not back east. I think it was Dairy Queen. And it did not matter how hard he tried. He was going to dribble on his tie. He just destroyed so many ties. And I, I was just waiting in the back seat of the car all the time to hear, Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, my word. I got that from my parents. Oh, my word. When I played tennis. When I'd make a mistake, I'd go, oh, my word. And finally, I remember one day, some kid I was playing said, what's your word? <laughs> I, just, I just lost it. I said, Stop it. Uh, the older you get, the more you, you, you analyze your own language and go, man, I, I got so much of this stuff from my parents. I didn't even, didn't even know. How did we get on that? Oh, because I went and looked at my phone. Uh, that's, that's why. Chris, see what you just did to me? You just, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, well, yeah, well, anything that I say will be put into a meme at some point. Um, anyhow, I, I get what people are saying. I believe God's law is absolutely necessary. It's, it's light. It's guidance to us in the sense of telling us who God is. And hey, it's as close as you're going to get to an owner's manual. Uh, and the rebel heart hates it. Did you see the video? Uh, again, it was Matt Walsh saying, I think today or yesterday, of people ripping up Bibles and eating. There was some, they were throwing pages around. People were eating pages of the Bible and stuff like that. Hate God's law. They know that that's really what they're rebelling against. They really do. But at the same time, um, I get all that, but history tells us what happens when you have sacralism. And I think we need to have a real important conversation about the difference between the sacralism that imprisoned Fritz Erba in the Wartburg Castle and what Christian nationalism could possibly mean. Because there are few things more liable to abuse than the combination of religious and political power. Just like the response to the demasculization of men can result in 
a men will take advantage of opportunities to sinfully behave if they're given those opportunities. And it's really natural for a man to make excuses for his behavior by just saying he's being macho and a man. So there has to be balance in everything. There has to be balance in everything. And we can only find the the basis and standard of that balance in um, in the scriptures. Um, so there we go. So that's certainly not a whole discussion about Christian nationalism. It's just a few thoughts that for Christian nationalism to be played out will require a massive work of the Spirit of God in bringing about the true conversion of hearts and minds. Till then, our call to secular leaders is we, we need to, to say to them, if you want God's blessing, this is the only path. This is the only way. And all that takes us back to the reality of the day of judgment coming. My wife and I were talking last night. She's just so frustrated with the Biden regime and, and both of us. It's just such a regular thing now for us to be thinking about it's one thing for us to be dealing with the ungodliness of our nation today. It's our grandkids. They're growing up. They're, they're having to face this. And for both of us, it's just source of true frustration and concern. And, um, you know, we, I, I just sort of said in passing, there's going to be a day of judgment. And she's like, oh, it's the only hope we have. And it's true. You, 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 when you think about that day of judgment, and I, I keep going back to Acts 17.31, how do we know this could be a day of judgment? Because there's an empty tomb. Again, that was, that was I, I didn't think about this until two years ago. I didn't see it in Acts 17.31. But God has appointed a day. He's going to judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has chosen and he has given evidence to all by raising him from the dead. The evidence of the day of judgment and that it will be righteous and that everyone will face it is an empty tomb. It's an empty tomb. And that needs to be the message that we are giving to our culture and that may cause them to kill us. It's happened before. But eventually, it's going to be used as the means of bringing that about. So, there you go. A um, couple things. Uh, I wasn't able to find it. I, I, I don't know why. Um, I don't know. Sometimes the color of the screenshot throws me off or something. I, I don't know. I but um, Craig Carter, uh, after the uh, journal dropped a few, uh, sometime you know, last week, 
I think I may have, I just realized probably where I could find it if I wanted to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. Um, but Craig Carter has posted a few things. Uh, again, I'm, I'm blocked. That doesn't really mean a whole lot. Um, you'll recall that, um, yeah, I found it. You'll recall that I had pointed out when he blocked me that he said a number of untrue, untrue things, made untrue statements. He's never attempted to back that up. Everyone's just sort of let that slide because he gets to do whatever he wants to. Even though I've put quotations from his book up on the screen and stuff like that, he's, I don't have any evidence whatsoever he's ever listened to a word I've had to say or read anything either. But that's how it goes. Um, here's, uh, here's the tweet. I was able to find it. The fundamentalist Baptists of GBTS who reject Thomas completely have thereby demeaned the Reformed theological tradition that produced the 17th century confessions, including the Second London Confession of Faith. Therefore, for them to pretend to uphold the teaching of the Second London Confession of Faith is absurd. Um, I don't think he has a clue. Uh, he's, he's not, he, hasn't, he didn't read the journal. And I'm sorry, but there are lots of negative reviews of Carter's work out there that I haven't really focused on. I haven't wanted to get into the, this scholar says this about this scholar stuff, because there's, there's, there's no end to it. Um, but the reality is that the more I uh, am encountering what he's saying, the, the less respect I have for him as a scholar. I know he's lied about me. I know he doesn't do his homework. I know he didn't read the the uh, journal, and so he's willing to make statements that just simply don't have any foundation and just expect people to believe whatever it is he has to say because he is who he is, I guess. Um, so what does it mean who reject Thomas completely? What, is, what does that mean? Um, if you, if you, you know... I interacted with Thomas in one of the articles. Um, if I was in error, it would be really easy to demonstrate the error. But they don't even try. None of these people try. All the people who reacted within two hours of the journal coming out, they don't even try. I have not seen one person, any of these cadre of Thomistic critics, even try. It's just, it has to be the dismissive hand wave, not the, okay, here's where you're wrong about Thomas on this subject. Because I dealt with where he stands in regards to Sola Scriptura. Since they have not refuted, I guess they must agree. I guess I must have gotten that right. But they would be loath to say it. And so they haven't said it. But I don't even know what who reject Thomas completely. What does that even mean? How about providing a citation? If you mean we don't think Thomas Aquinas as a whole is a valid or useful guide for Protestants, that's true. And neither did Martin Luther or John Calvin. Those are both true statements. 
Now, I, I understand where they're going to go. Well, but you see, you know, they sort of just took over that medieval. That's not what we're talking about, is it? Because he didn't design it, did he? Your whole argument is that that while he may have put the finishing touches on something, that he's actually doing Nicene Orthodoxy, right? Isn't that your position? Uh, trying to get these folks to be consistent. It's extremely difficult. Um, but therefore, for them to pretend to uphold the teaching of the Second London's Confession of Faith is absurd. Um, I did an entire article in that journal on the first chapter of that. Do you think Dr. Carter's read it? Nope. Think he could refute it? Nope. Couldn't even start. Couldn't even start. We 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 know the ivory tower mentality and uh couldn't even start. So it's getting getting pretty bad the uh the hand waving. And so another Carter tweet was, the PhD program at MBTS is where you go today for a program that takes the historic tradition of classical theology and the metaphysics that informs it seriously. You don't get this kind of philosophical depth in most doctoral programs in systematic theology today. That was after uh, I retweeted some of the material that Matthew Barrett was posting. Some of the books. Now, you need to... So many of the people that are dealing with the subject don't get what the connections are here. Okay? Um, Barrett had posted a bunch of stuff um, on his timeline uh, relating to um, visiting professors. And those same professors are people that Carter's working with. And the sources they're quoting are very similar sources some, sometimes very same sources. There's a lot of interconnectedness here that a lot of people are not aware of. But you look at the books that um, were being promoted by uh, Matthew Barrett at Midwestern. And I, I simply tweeted the pictures and said, remember, and I was referring to Phil Johnson. I remember when Phil said that I was... I, I should be ashamed of myself that um, I uh, was using labels to attack my opponents, such as Thomist and Platonist. Um, and I'm like, no, no, Phil, um, those those actually are the here. Here's the exact quotation. I'm. This whole diatribe is a lot of bluster that amounts to a cheap shot attack on those of us who want to hold the line on classic theism, uh, divine timelessness, impassibility, and fill its spell with an I, uh, and Nicene Trinitarianism untainted by neo-subordinationism. It's easier to, for James to label his adversaries Thomists and Platonists than it is for him to defend the problems created by EFS and passibility. Again, it's P-A-S-S-I-B. Anyway, um... And so I simply pointed out on Twitter this week, I didn't make up these, these labels. These are the labels they're using of themselves. Anyone who has read Craig Carter would not even start to respond this way. Because he's the one pushing. If you've read his book, Interpreting Scripture in Light of the Great Tradition, 
what is his what's his thesis that the way to deal with the crisis of modern exegesis critical exegesis historical critical exegesis uh, is Christian Platonism we we need Plato we need to become Christian Platonists that's his whole point that wasn't something I made up I'm reflecting actually reading the original sources and in reference to all this this was this was goes back to the Joel Webin uh, webcast that I did where I was I used Masters as an example. I said, we've got this stuff coming to Masters. There are certain professors at Masters that are pushing Dolezal and and uh, Carter and just look at the edition of the Masters Seminary Journal where they both are contributing. And I, uh, I said, uh, if this can happen at Masters, it can happen anywhere. This is a, there is a constant temptation in academics, toward scholasticism, toward the creation of a scholastic movement. And when I have talked about what Thomism is about, what Christian Platonism is about, when I have talked about the assertions that are being made in regards to how we're to do exegesis and the development of new hermeneutic, and then I say it's even, even happening at Masters, people are like... Ah, that's not possible. That's actually a compliment to Masters. That's a compliment because people know if there's anything about Masters, everybody, everybody on that staff in the year 2014 would have thanked you for calling them a Biblicist. They would have viewed that as a compliment would have accepted it, would have said, you better believe it. That's where, that's where we stand. Now, Biblicism, for some, is a bad word. It's coming in. It almost seems inevitable, but it's coming in. It is a form of Thomistic scholasticism. Christian Platonism, whatever you want to call it, I didn't make up those terms. But those terms have been used for quite some time. And so, a couple things. Um, I had mentioned that there had been the suggestion made to leadership about European PhDs. No one has disputed that that actually did take place. And it did. I know that it did. I didn't, said that, didn't say that, well, and that means they're... they're Go do that. The point is, once again, any institution, any academic institution is susceptible to this movement and to this temptation, even masters. I hope and pray that they resist. But as I said, right now, seems to me that there's a lot of internal conversation going on. And so the only thing here, um, the, this whole diatribe is a lot of bluster that amounts to a cheap shot attack. It wasn't a cheap shot attack. It was an accurate recognition that a movement that did not exist before is now present amongst professors 
at Master's Seminary. That's not even questionable, and you know that. You know that. I could name the names. So could you. Most of them were in a meeting you all had, right? Oh, yeah, I know about it. Um, it's an attack on whom? On those of us who want to hold the line on classic theism. Really? What's classic theism? Well, they're given a definition here. Divine timelessness. I mean, God's eternal, doesn't experience progression of time. Who's attacking that? Not me. So why would I, are you saying I, de- I, de- I deny divine timelessness? Impassibility. Well, there was an entire division over exactly how to flesh that out. If you mean God is not like us and God is not controlled by emotions and things like that, well, obviously. But if you mean by that that everything in the Bible about God's passion for his own holiness, God's wrath against sin, God's love for his people is to be turned into something that can fit into Thomas's Aristotelian God? Uh, No. So where are you going to go with that? Um, And Nicene Trinitarianism, untainted by neo-subordinationism. Well, that sounds neat. I'd like to know what that means. My my gut feeling, neo-subordinationism, um, since it says later, it says it's easier for James to label his adversaries Thomas and Platonist than it is for him to defend the problems created by EFS and passibility. Okay, um, you think I believe in EFS? I don't, never have spoken against it. So none of this made much sense because the terminology I was using. I was borrowing from the people on the other side. And Matthew Barrett's tweets this week proved that one beyond all question. So I really wonder how many of the lectures, and they we shouldn't, can identify them as lectures, that I've delivered on this program, normally in the other studio, big board, quotes, material, timelines, How much of that has Phil listened to? I didn't get the feeling any. Because I didn't even know what he's referring to. I've never developed, uh, never defended EFS. And I don't know what you mean by passability. Are you going back to the great divisions amongst the ARBCA folks? Back 2010 through 2014-ish area? Is that what you're talking about? I don't know. Can't tell. Doesn't have much to do with what my concern has been. And my concern is Reformed Biblicism. My concern is where you're deriving your, your theology from. Which brings us to what I need to get to. Um, since we're going to be doing hopefully two more programs, then, then on Thursday I will be responding to the Baptist dogmatic stuff. There's two more articles that have come out. And... Uh, I've only read the second one. We'll get to the third one as well. But I, and I do, did we check to see if you can pull stuff up over there? All right. Um, I 
noted the release of this book by R.R. Reno. The End of Interpretation, Reclaiming the Priority of Ecclesial Exegesis. Hmm. That's a very provocative title. The End of Interpretation, Reclaiming the Priority of Ecclesial Exegesis. What have I been saying? All this stuff about the extended assertions of divine simplicity, inseparable operations, all this stuff, what's it really go back to? Um, the stuff that Baptist Dogmatics is doing. Their, their next article that I'll respond to on Thursday attempts to do exegesis of Matthew 24-36 in a way somehow different than mine. And by the way, you guys at Baptist Dogmatics, is there a reason why you based all of what you're saying in response to me to a single parenthetical sentence in a brief thing that I put up and you said this was just too long for a Twitter thread? Why, why focus on something that small and narrow? I mean, if you're trying to be fair. Anyway, um, I'll say more about that. So I, I saw this book. Oop. And so I uh, then saw the backside. And this was where I, I went, uh, interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, notice what we've got here. Sorry. Why are you doing this to me? Oh, oh well. Um, shows us what a truly ecclesial interpretation of the Bible looks like. Arguing that Scripture is interpreted correctly only when read through the lens of creedal orthodoxy, R.R. Reno defends a classical mode of interpretation. Hmm. Then we have the endorsers. Uh, Kevin Van Hooser, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Hmm. Most Reverend Robert Barron, the Bishop of Winona, Rochester. In this splendidly written embracing text, Reno shows us what a truly ecclesial interpretation of the Bible looks like. Skip down. Scott Hahn. Scott Hahn. Now, question. How many people even know who Scott Hahn is anymore? How many people even know who Scott Hahn is anymore? I can't assume. So many of my critics are the same age as my kids that I can't assume that they have any idea what a what's what relationship exists here. Scott Hahn teaches University of Steubenville, but long before he did that, he was one of the celebrated converts, along with his dear friend at that time, Jerry Mattatix. And it was Hahn and Mattatix that were key in starting the debating activity of this ministry in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, Jerry Mattatix was John Gerstner's favorite student. 
and the first ordained PCA minister to convert to Roman Catholicism. Scott Hahn moderated the debate I did with Jerry Matitzik at the City of the Lord in December, December of 1990. Uh, so I've been yelled at by Scott Hahn. Scott Hahn has quite a temper. Uh, Rich is going, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we saw it more than once. Um, and of course, Jerry Matitzik saw it too, where right in front of me, Scott Hahn reamed him out uh, after that debate, which he clearly lost. And stormed out of the building. Um, so, I know who Scott Hahn is. Scott Hahn is a convert from Roman from Protestantism, from Reformed Protestantism to Roman Catholicism. So he says, in identifying the end of interpretation, Reno plots the trajectory of something far greater than anything we've known in my lifetime, reading scripture from the heart of the church in the great tradition... Great tradition. Where have we heard that before? I don't know. In the great tradition and not surrendering it to the canons of the secular academy. That sounds great. Of course, we've been doing exegesis without surrendering to the canons of the secular academy for a long, long time. But it's interesting that you have Scott Hahn right above whom? Craig A. Carter. Now notice it says, this book may not have all the answers to the thorny questions of biblical hermeneutics after the demise of the historical critical approach, but it at least points us in the right direction by advocating for the priority of ecclesial exegesis. Reno shows that true doctrine neither supersedes nor undermines the Bible, but rather accords with it. In pre-modern times, doctrine and exegesis informed each other, and they should do so again. That is key to Carter's thesis. There's no two ways about it. If you've read them, anyways... Tried to listen to what he's saying. We listen to him. He doesn't listen to anybody else. That's a bit of a problem. But Carter is right below Scott Hahn. And both of them are right below Carl Truman. An excellent treatment of the ever-present tension that all thoughtful Christians feel between biblical exegesis and theological statements between the desire to maintain the uniqueness of biblical authority while also respecting the church's historic teaching, this book will be on the reading list of my theology classes from now on. Now, we played a section from Carl Truman saying that starting about 2016, that's when he really started moving into his Thomistic phase, and um, basically saying that the Catholics are right about uh, God, but the Protestants write about salvation. And I just sort of go, that's that's not going to work. Anyway, um, this book will be on the reading list of my theology classes from now on. Now, I've read the book. I know it only dropped last week. I read it over the weekend. I took the time. And I'm not going to review it all right now because we're basically out of time for today. But I will simply say in passing... I found it to be very poor. It is uh, mainly pre-written material from other contexts. The last chapter, for example, is all about this Brazos commentary series, which was really irrelevant, that he was involved with. It does raise key issues toward the beginning, and I'll, I'll read some of those sections when we do a closer review of it. But it doesn't answer any of the questions. It, it, sim- it simply doesn't. Uh, Reno himself is a convert to Roman Catholicism. Now, 
He came from Episcopalianism. That's not all that big of a leap, but uh, he is. And so when he's talking about the church, when he's talking about ecclesial interpretation, well, you, you need to understand how Vatican I and Vatican II understood those, those phrases. Ecclesial interpretation is the interpretation provided by the magisterium of the church, the Roman Catholic Church. And so this highlights once again if if the ecclesia provides the lens, then how can the scriptures ever reform or correct the ecclesia? This is the question. This is the issue that we're dealing with. This is the topic of sola scriptura. This is the sufficiency. And over and over again, in listening to Reno, I'm like, no, actually, the answer would be found in having a proper biblical view of the Bible. <laughs> in other words, if you had the same view of Scripture that Jesus did, you wouldn't even be asking this question. Now, I get it. 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 That if you've lived most of your life in academia today, dealing with historical critical methodology. And you've, look, I've, I've said this over and over again. The I'm sorry? Oh. Well, Rich said we croaked. <laughs> Rich said we died. Um, that throws everything off. So I'll continue. Uh, like I said, we'll eventually do a little bit more on Reno's book uh, and ecclesial exegesis and all the rest of that stuff. It's central. It's key. I was just simply amazed at... Uh, People are supposed to be on my side. Were like uh, throwing Mitch Paquas endorsement of my book on the Trinity out as if that was relevant, and I'm just like, you all, you all have not even started to think about what the real issue is, have you? You haven't even begun. You, you are, you are so out of the game. It's not even funny. That that wasn't the issue. We're talking about the you bring together. Truman and Hahn and Carter and Reno and their different backgrounds, their different perspectives, and we're talking here about scriptural sufficiency. If you think that Mitch Pacwa endorsing my book almost 30 years ago, well, 25 years ago, on the Trinity has anything to do with this, then you are not even listening. You are not even in the conversation. Just stay out of it. You don't get it. It's sad. I'm sorry you don't get it, but just don't even go there. Anyway, so I don't know what any of this means. 
Um, but what? Well, I think we recovered nicely here. Um, I will say this. Um, Twitch has uh, decided that uh, it was the Kuji that caused the crash. That's not possible. <laughs> because this is one of the most moot, mu- muted moot. Kujis. I like moot, moot works. It's muted. It is not colorful at all. In fact, I almost disappear into the background. The, the corners here are the same color as the wall behind me. Yes. So it is not possible that it was the Kuji. So I'm sorry, but uh, Twitch or whatever it is we're on is wrong. Okay, whatever it is. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> All right, so that, when, when Rich starts going, uh, um, that's pretty much it. Uh, it's just like whatever you're talking about, it's done. It's over with. Get to start that all over again. So I don't know if, if he's going to have to edit that or whatever, but anyways, you'll find a way. So uh, Lord willing, on Thursday, we'll be back again. And then, like I said, some sort of fun program from ReformCon on uh, Friday, 4.30 Eastern Daylight Time, if it's still daylight time, which I think it will be. <laughs> so anyways, thanks for watching the program. We will see you next time. God bless.